Welcome to episode number two of Unturned Stones. I wanted to do this episode as an opportunity to kind of explain a little bit more about the background of where this idea came from, as well as kind of a little bit more background about myself, just so I can kind of give people a little bit more insight about where some of this stuff has developed for me and how it's developed. So to kind of start out, <clears throat> when me and Carrie were driving back from our six-month trip, uh, we were booking it all the way back from Big Men, Texas. We decided to just do it 27 hours straight through so that we could get home. And in the last six hours of the drive, Kieran was asleep next to me. And at this point, you know, I was pretty tired, but like pretty focused, like excited to get home because we'd been away from home for a while. We were excited to just be back in our house and our own beds. And my mind was just kind of racing, thinking about stuff, thinking about purpose, all that kind of uh, just random thoughts about how to trip and what I'm going to do when I get home, how I'm going to allocate my time, um, where I want to put my free time. I was thinking about training and purpose is definitely something that kept popping up for me. And, you know, that's something I've been like thinking about a lot lately and what, what my purpose is, but outside of my purpose, I kind of also kept trying to think of what's something fun I want to do. And this idea of doing this podcast came up because I wanted to do something that like, I didn't care if it made me money. I didn't care if it uh, got me some status. I, I just wanted to do it because it was something I enjoyed. And I realized one thing I really enjoyed was having deep conversations with people and learning how people thought, how their mental process was compared to mine. Because I'm always trying to figure out how to work with my own brain better by hearing how other people have worked with their own, with their brains. So from that, I was like, well, man, I, I already kind of had these conversations with people randomly here and there. So why not? maybe ask people to interview them and record them and put them out there. And if other men can listen to them and relate and learn more about their own mental health and possibly dig further into their own mental health because of it, then all the better. So this kind of developed from this. I, I, back in the day, me and a very good friend, Kirk uh, Reamer, who's the owner of Winners Edge Gym out in Pewaukee, we took a drive out to Minnesota because we had to pick something up and, we it was a five hour drive out there and five hour drive back so we spent 10 hours in the truck that day and i'd always never i'd never really get a chance to talk to kirk too much prior to that too deeply because every time he's at the gym he's training everybody everybody's coming up to him to ask him what their next sets are or everybody's just trying to get his attention this was really my first opportunity to sit down with kirk and actually dig into talking to him a little bit more and getting to know him because he was somebody i had a lot of respect for i kind of put him on a pedestal because he was he had a very different way of looking at movement and helping coach and training and like giving me like little secrets here and there of like how to, you know, fix my body, make a little pain go away, little lifting tips and whatnot. And, uh, I always loved the way his mind thought it was, it was kind of, he was a very creative thinker in that sense. And during this drive, we just, we talked, we talked and we talked, we talked about childhood. We talked about relationships. And by the end of it, it was very cathartic. We got into so many deep things and, uh, Afterwards, Kirk had like told me and even like a couple years later how that conversation like helped him realize a lot of stuff. And uh, for me, it was also like very impactful thinking about because I, 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 there's a realization and a link I made from that conversation that day, which was the guys I got along with the most all kind of had a similar childhood. We all kind of came from these more <clears throat> rigid fathers, I want to say, like dads who maybe didn't give us as much affection or maybe they were a little bit more on the abusive side or they were just they were going through their own thing and they were not actively maybe participating in your life as much as just being 
a figure that's in your life. And I noticed that a lot of guys like that end up, like myself, seeking male, more male validation. And those are the guys I ended up getting along with the most. Uh, like we all had this father wound that we, we like get along on without even having to talk about it. It's just subconsciously there through our behaviors. <clears throat> but this, this, I just, I kept noticing this. I kept realizing, like seeing how this was a pattern in life and all the, like so many of the male friends that I had, so many of the guys that I always got along with, I'd, I'd realize I'd always, I get along with military guys really well. Like you put me in a room with a bunch of military guys and I'm gonna, I feel like I just relax and we just, I would just shoot the shit. And it's like some, some of the most fun times I've had is probably sitting around talking with a bunch of guys who are military guys. Cause I think a lot of military guys either come from a military family with a more rigid structured dad who's maybe like didn't give that affection didn't give that love all the time so then they you know they end up seeking that male validation as well but <clears throat> so because of that I kind of I, I started kind of seeing these these patterns and it, <clears throat> it, it had me even realizing that more than just seeking male validation I also was seeking I've, I've always been seeking peer validation to some limit um and that's because for anybody who doesn't kind of know about my, my story a little bit, I was born in San Diego, California, where my dad's family was living because his family had ended up there through moving to America and bouncing around a couple places. And when I was four years old, we moved back to Amman, Jordan, where my mom's family lived. And I lived there for five years. And when I was nine years old, we moved to Greendale, Wisconsin, where we my family has been since. And I very much at this point consider myself a Midwest boy. Um... But to my entire life, I've I've always been a bit of an outcast because when I don't remember much before four years old being in San Diego, but when we went to Jordan, I was the American kid. I was the kid that lived in America, and I was I was the kid that spoke some English, you know, whatever. And then when I came to Jordan, when I came back to uh, Greendale, Wisconsin, after being in Jordan for five years, I was the Arabic kid, and I carried that with me through middle school and to high school. And it was very much kind of a part of my identity. I felt like it limited the way I looked at myself. I always kind of felt a bit of an outcast. But, you know, not, I, had, I had great friends. That's not, not saying that by any means, that I didn't ha- have great friends and people that loved me and cared for me. Um, but I, I, was, I was the Arabic kid. And it's funny. So there's, when I was in seventh grade, I one day went to school wearing a, <clears throat> a cutoff. I must have been feeling myself. And this girl that I thought was kind of cute... I don't know. I think we, for some reason, we, I was on AOL that later that day and she aim chatted me and told me that she like thought I looked cute or something. And we talked a little bit and I think I asked something along the lines like, like, would you date me? And she's, she gave me an answer that was basically, you know, if I had hung out with her group of friends, it would be easier for like, she would date me, but I understood it was, she couldn't, I was not in her group of friends socially in middle, you know, middle school. That's, that's a whole weird thing. Point is, she kind of, she was like, if you hung out, like, in my mind, that meant to hang out with the more popular kids, I needed to play sports. So to play sports, I needed to work out. I needed to get fit. I needed to get stronger. So that, like, that that conversation literally kick-started my life into fitness, into working out, and being really into just physical health. Because after that, in the summer between seventh grade to eighth grade is when I begged my dad to get me. Not, actually, I didn't even really beg. I think he got it for me pretty quick. A Southridge Athletic Club membership where I started going to the gym that entire summer. Started working out. Eighth grade, I joined wrestling. And I continued to just really be into fitness. And at some point, I don't even remember at what point my mind completely 
didn't even care about that girl anymore. And I was just so focused in the fitness. And I feel like I did it. I, and I mean, I did lift and I got big and strong because I was seeking validation from girls. And I also was seeking validation from guys. I wanted to be respected for being strong, for being athletic. And, you know, for that's the same reason I, I kept joining sports and wanted to play sports. But that, I feel like that still held this idea. I was the Arabic kid. And I, I never like felt like I got the validation I wanted. And it wasn't until, then when I got to college, I was kind of like the guy that worked out. I was the kind of, the guy that was a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. And in college, I got so much goddamn validation from all the bros. And again, this, I started like, looking back, I see that relation now of like all the guys that I got along with in the gym the most. You know, the guys that I would walk into the gym and I would see them and I would think to myself, you know, oh man, I got to. I gotta, I gotta seem tough. I gotta puff on my chest. I gotta make sure I, I lift heavy. I gotta like lift a little extra heavy on this set. I gotta make sure I ground out a little extra rep because, you know, at the time, you know, your ego wants to say I, I need to look tougher or bigger than them. Those guys always ended up being the guys that once we actually talked, we like instantly clicked and we're bros. And this just happened consistently through college. Anytime I saw a guy that I thought was a threat or intimidating or something like that, we talk and we'd be bros. And I feel like looking back, they probably followed that rule. I'm sure they probably had a little bit more uh, childhood where they didn't get as much affection from their dad and they seek more validation. And that's why, you know, we, we end up in the gym and all of a sudden you're talking to them, you're, you, you're just clicking with them. So um, <clears throat> this kind of, this, this got me into the idea that like, I realized that mental health impacted everything and it impacted it impacts life on so many scales that your mental health can affect your sleep. It can affect your physical health. It can affect how you view things. It can affect your mindset. And fixing your mental health is such a big priority that a lot of people almost don't like, don't know the tools for. A lot of men especially don't know the tools for because we kind of get stuck in these rigid ways of how we operate. We get stuck in these thoughts and patterns that, I mean, everybody does, but Guys get more conditioned to it because we don't talk about our feelings as often. So you get a lot of guys feeling lonely and feeling like what they're going through, they, you know, they think other people are going through it, but it's like not worth talking about because it's not going to fix anything. When in reality, talking about it is kind of the first step to accepting what you're going through and then learning how to deal with it eventually. For me, there was this point where I I read this book called uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, which it, it talks about the ego. It talks about how you, you to like reach some type of enlightenment, you have to let go of your ego. I, I don't necessarily believe in the theory that you should completely have no ego. I don't think you can exist in the world that we live in today with zero ego. You have to have some ego to some level. But it made me realize how much I had to let go of my ego because <clears throat> I read that book at a time when I, I, I had lost a massive part of my identity or I was losing a massive part of my identity because... Um, end of college and getting into post-college, I really got into powerlifting. It became all I cared about. My main focus was that I wanted to powerlift. I wanted to just lift more weight, get stronger, get bigger. And it was very much like an ego-driven thing, but also it was like the, how do I say this? I mean, it gave me such a, a goal to focus on that it almost made everything else, all the inconsequential stuff not bother my brain as much because I was just so focused on this one thing, which is to reach my goal. 
unfortunately with it, I threw away my health in many ways, you know, whether it was eating junk food just to get extra calories in or not doing cardio, not taking care of my cardiological health, not taking care, like try, trying to keep some sort of endurance or agility because I, I love being a sprinter in high school. But at that point when I was powerlifting, I mean, I got to a point where I was 250 pounds and I mean, there was a lot of ego with that. I, I like being big. I wanted to be bigger. I, I, at one point, like my best squat was uh 545. I, I deadlifted 635 and I benched 435. It was never all at the same period of time because I could never put it all together to put one big total up. But, you know, I had a lot of ego behind those numbers from the years of work that went into getting them. And I hurt my back through all that time. I kept, I, I had an initial back injury at one point in college that I just didn't rehab well enough, but I kept getting stronger and I hurt it again another point. But there was a, a point in two, 2015, I did a nationals, USAPL nationals, and I had a subpar performance that I wasn't too happy about, but I beat the shit out of myself to get to that performance and to get to that, to that day to lift and peak for it. When I got back, I got into another routine because instead of thinking I should rest, I want to get stronger because I had this specific number in my mind that I wanted to hit. It was a 600, 600 pound squat, which would have been the junior national record for 242 for USAPL, you know, literally one national record for one federation. I was so obsessed with wanting to get that number and I was just beating the crap out of myself to try to get it. And I was deadlifting 405 for some reps my back did something and it just, it went to a mode where for like a month straight, I was just in constant back pain. I couldn't lay down. I couldn't uh, sit. I couldn't stand. Nothing I did really relieve the back pain. It put me in such a miserable state that I had to finally accept that I could not continue to go to the gym and lift heavy to get stronger when I had this massive issue that I was just ignoring. So I had to really let go of being a powerlifter and it, it took me a long time. Hell, I, to let go, even to let go of the comp competitive drive that I had for powerlifting, I, I even, I joined jujitsu because I, I was a wrestler in high school and thought, well, you know, I can, I can maybe get some kind of relief competition doing that. But <laughs> in jujitsu, I ended up, you know, sparring a little too hard here and there and just like one time twisting too hard straining my rib, doing it another time, straining my rib on my other side. I ended up having this issue where my my uh, first rib on my left side just kept popping out and I'd have to go get it popped in with the chiropractor because I could not pop it in myself every time it popped out. But I started getting all these chronic tension issues from it. And I had to quit jujitsu. And man, like letting go the identity of being somebody who had to be like so competitive and so aggressive and so hyper aggressive to express my masculinity, I, I realized how negatively it had taken my life and that to express my masculinity, I didn't need to express it through just being more physically dominant than some other people and that there was other ways to express it. And ultimately that stuff, that lifting and doing that to myself, the pain that I was putting myself through that it ruined my mental health because I couldn't focus on anything else. And I saw, I started quickly seeing how negative this became. So losing that sense of identity what it did for me the most is I realized all of a sudden I didn't have this goal anymore that I was chasing. And without a goal there, I started realizing that I wasn't relying on just like the little steps to get to that goal as my happiness. And that I, I almost wasn't happy and content with myself on a day-to-day -day basis. And that I had to figure out a way to 
be happy and content with myself on a day-to-day basis. So that journey really dove me into started like digging into mental health, learning more about discipline, learning more about willpower and learning more about emotions and how our emotions can, you know, there's actions, there's emotions and there's thoughts and you have to be able to separate them. One of the biggest things that really from that point I I started digging into was meditation because I, the first thing I needed to be able to do was I felt like control my mind because I felt like at that point in my life, I just didn't have control of my mind. I didn't have control of myself as much as I wanted to. And I needed to figure out how to be able to control my emotions. And meditation was kind of the first thing that I dove into that taught me that, that learned, taught me how to separate that when I had a thought, that thought did not by any means have to be associated with any, with myself. It could just be a thought that comes and goes and I don't have to dig into it. And how much I would spiral into thoughts if I just let myself get into them as opposed to being able to just let them pass. And it's still a skill I'm trying to learn. But that really... It showed me that the biggest thing I learned in that period is like happiness could not be the goal that I needed to attain. I, I've always, I think, had this idea that happiness is the goal. And I learned that happiness could not be the goal, that the only way that I could continue moving forward was I had to assess my values. I had to assess what my priorities in life were. And then I had to create my goals based off of my values and what my priorities were. And I realized that wanting to be happy could not be a value that I created a goal based off of it. Happiness would just be a byproduct. Um, and, you know, it's stereotypical as you hear that, like the idea that the journey is what you have to enjoy, not the, not the outcome, because otherwise you're always going to get to the outcome and be disappointed and then seek another journey that's going to give you another outcome that you think is going to make you happier. But the truth is that's kind of like a never ending journey. So this kind of, it's funny because as all this time was happening and I was like rolling into understanding this stuff, um, I met, well, I'd met Kearney much prior to when me and her started dating and I'd known her for a while, but there's this idea that you always hear from people that you need to, you need to like grow and learn about yourself and become like a fulfilled person before you can meet the right person and be happy in a relationship. And I kind of, I subscribe to that idea a little bit yet. I also was guilty of jumping between one relationship to another uh, through most of college and post-college that I I never really took that time to work on myself. But when I met Kearney, I, I was at a point where I like finally accepted that I had to work on myself, that I needed to take some time, not date anybody and just work on myself. And when I met her, I mean, the first time we talked, we hung out, we literally talked for seven hours straight. And I mean, my I, I knew she was the one and I knew... I had to not let this opportunity with her go because I needed to work on myself. And in retrospect, that was such a great decision because I now in hindsight believe you sometimes can't grow till you feel like you've settled some things in your life that maybe most of my twenties, most of my teens, I felt like a relationship was a thing that was going to always make me happy. And if I was in a relationship, then I'd be happy. Then I'd get into relationships and things would start to go, you know, things, issues would arise and then fights would happen. Eventually the relationship would end. And then I would seek another relationship to be happy again. Um, that it wasn't till I was in a relationship and stopped seeking relationships, which was the one thing I feel like I was seeking my entire teens and twenties 
that I started to really be able to grow. So that's, you know, that's something I'd love to talk to people about. And I'm definitely going to be asking that question to people as I interview them to get their opinion on it uh, in the future, because people have varying thoughts on this, because I'm sure somebody else who has possibly reached more of their growth before they met their person that they're with now is going to have reasons to argue why that that was more their way. And man, that's probably (laughs) the biggest lesson I've learned in my 20s, by far, was that the world basically nothing is black and white. Everything, everything has this massive area of gray between it, and it's very easy to see just the black and white on the opposite ends of it. But basically, the entire middle is gray. It, everything is gray, and everybody's in, experience is individual and complex to every single person, and very unique to every single person. And again, that's why I'm on this journey. That's why I want to interview people and talk to them and learn more about the way that people have processed their lives and processed their childhoods, processed, you know, the, the growing up they've had to do because we all had to go through that stage of being teenagers to kind of being adults, whether it was, you know, whether it was college or whether it was getting into work right after high school, whatever it was that like, we all experienced that we had to, we had to change in some way and we can, and we continually have to change. And, how we change or whether or not we change is the biggest thing that's going to indicate, I think, happiness and success for us further on in life. Because the people I think that sometimes are the least happy are the people who change the least. Um, but that's, that's more for us. That's more for me to dig into later and talk to with other people. Um, but I, you know, to kind of end a lot of this, I mean, my wife has been instrumental in helping me get further along my journey every day of trying to, work with my own mental health and figure out how to, how I interact with the world around me and how I could possibly be of even more help and resource to others around me. Cause sometimes I get very caught up in, you know, being a lone wolf and just putting my head down, doing my work, working out, eating dinner, taking care of my stuff at the house and like not doing much socially outside of that. And I always, whenever I get into social situations or I get to see people and I get to talk to people and I, I do something maybe I hadn't done for a while. I, it always amazes me how much better I feel, but then how much my brain ends up wanting to go right back into that lone wolf mode. So uh, I, I, this is something I work on every day and I, I feel very lucky to have my wife as my rock every day as well, because uh, she has definitely been a big reason that I've continued to figure out how to push myself out of comfort zones and, Uh, not that I didn't push myself out of comfort zones prior to meeting her, but she, she makes everything else in my life feel stable enough to be able to push myself out of my comfort zones because I know she's my rock. Everything else is stable. Um, so that's, that's kind of, that, that is a little bit more of my history, a little bit more of the journey I've taken here in my twenties, the, the process of me seeing the connection I've had with so many guys that I've gotten along with through that, through those through that time, as well as the process of me having to let go of my ego um, and how much that's impacted me. And I, you know, I don't know if I, I would have maybe told you, I don't know if I would have told you I was happy in my twenties. I was, there was points in time where I was happy because I was so concentrated on a certain goal, but the level of content I feel now with how much I've been able to let go of my ego, which came along with as well, like letting go of expectations and, not building a life up where I'm constantly putting expectations on it and then being left disappointed. Cause that, that is, 
I found that to be the number one way to be disappointed in your life is to make expectations and not be willing to let them go, to hold them rigidly like they are set in stone and they must be met. That is the number one way to just constantly hold yourself down and not let yourself figure out how to let that go. So letting that go is definitely a big part of it for me um, that, I, that I went through in my 20s. Learning how to let go of expectations and then building building goals that are then based more around your values instead of having expectations. Um, so that's that's kind of that's that's how I'm going to conclude it. Uh, thank you guys for anybody that's listening. The first episode, the feedback from people was phenomenal, and the amount of support I got really. I mean, every single time I got a message from somebody, the amount of warmth it filled me with was amazing, and it, it really it meant a lot. So I really appreciate that. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this, and I look forward to uh, doing more interviews here soon because, honestly, it took me a little long to talk directly to the camera myself, uh, which I, I, it was a struggle for me more than I realized, but uh, I, I, I think it's easier for me to almost interview people than for me to talk at the camera. So I will be doing some interviews soon and getting them posted, and I uh, look forward to having more great conversations to share with you guys. So thank you, and uh, please subscribe, and uh, have a great day.